Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the Evil Jane's one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Jacobs. This episode is a bit special. It's a week after our previous one and coincides with the Learning Technologies exhibition and conference in the UK this week. It's also one of the episodes that we've been after recording for a while and features two of the leading lights in learning and development, Jane Bozarth and Jane Hart. Jane Bozarth has worked in the L&D industry for more than 25 years, most of it in the USA state government. Dr Bozarth currently serves as Director of Research for the Learning Guild and is the author of several books, most recently Show Your Work, The Payoffs and How-Tos of Working Out Loud. Jane can often be found at international speaking events and online in assorted media productions. Jane Hart is the founder of the Centre for Learning and Performance Technologies. She's been advising businesses for over 25 years and currently focuses on helping organisations and learning professionals modernise their approach to workplace learning, not just by updating their training practices, but by enabling and supporting continuous learning. Jane is the author of a number of online resources, including Modern Workplace Learning 2022 and the Top 100 Tools for Learning. She is also an international speaker on modern approaches to workplace learning. So why is this the Evil Jane's episode? Well, Jane and Jane will explain why later. This fascinating conversation we recorded in February 2023. Please take your time and settle down to hear a couple of the leading lights in learning. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Jane and Jane (laughs) talking about, well, learning. Jane Hart, it's so good to see you. (laughs) And you, Jane, too. Long time, hasn't it? It's been a long time. I know. There was a time you were the first thing I, person I talked to every morning because it was so much later there. I'd be up having my coffee and I'd have to talk to Jane Hart about some some crisis in the L&D business. <laughs> wasn't that when we were doing one of the chats, uh, one of the Twitter chats, wasn't it? You know, and uh, we had to start off the questions. And so we had to rack our brains. You with your cup of coffee, uh, like six o'clock in the morning, your time. bit better for me <laughs> at 11 or whatever it was. And we had to sort of come up with some questions for that week's chat. Well, that was great fun, I think, you know, because that was really when Twitter chat and everything was really in its infancy. And I really had some great experiences doing that. Everything seemed to happen so fast back then. But, you know, it seems to slow down a bit now. Perhaps that's because we're used to it. I don't know. Well, I think we're used to it. I think, you know, during COVID, we had to depend on other things. We got in the habit of having video meetings all the time. And there's so many more products now. You know, for a long time, it was really literally it was Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And once in a while, there'd be some sort of other product would pop up. But right now, I mean, we we really have a lot of divided attention. I know a lot of people uh, have left Twitter for products like Discord, um, Mastodon. um, TikTok is huge, which I love, by the way, but it it seems to have been appropriated. It's it's treated like something only the kids are using. I think TikTok's great. So, and then there was Snapchat and a lot of people use WeChat just for texting. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Yeah, I, I kind of spread myself around on different things now. I kind of, you know, have different medium for different people and different sub- subjects mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. Really. I can't really tell you what they are, but, you know, I just go, to, I've got, um, oh, my goodness, what is it called? Uh, Telegram I've been using a bit as well, oh, yeah. you know, which is like mm-hmm. WhatsApp, you know, so some friends on WhatsApp and whatever. But I seem to spread myself a bit, which sometimes is a bit confusing I think but 
But as I say, it's not like the glory days of Twitter. No. It was pushing really what it could do, I think. But uh, things have settled down a bit now. Yeah, it's, um, I'm hoping, you know, I was always a Twitter girl because that was, I was the only, for years, with, when I was with North Carolina state government, I was literally the only person out of 85,000 people who was interested in what I was interested in. Nobody wanted to do e-learning except to say it wouldn't work. Nobody wanted to do much to push the envelope of what we were doing with L&D. Nobody was especially interested in emerging technologies for learning. Um, so I could go on Twitter any hour of the day or night, and there was somebody there who wanted to talk about something. Sometimes I didn't even know it was something I wanted to talk about till I met them. And so it was a wonderful way to build you know, my reach and meet a lot of people from beyond, especially geography. Um, so you know, it's kind of a shame to see what's going on with it. I think, I think that's bound to settle down sooner or later, but I'm afraid an awful lot of people have slammed that door and aren't coming back. So. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I especially at that time in my career, it was just a, a such a wonderful resource. It, all the social media tools were, but especially for me, Twitter was um, was really good. And I'm sure that's where you and I spent a lot of our time together. You know, I knew you before that because you had had done a lot of blogging. You were doing a lot of writing and blogging back then. But once social media came along and we you know we had quicker, shorter conversations so available, I think that's probably when you and I got to be buddies so yeah I was just think, trying to reflect on when we first met and uh, I, we obviously met online a long time ago I remember you I think you were writing a book your powerpoint the bullets what's the name what's the title of I again? think I was writing the first book that was e-learning on a shoestring way oh, back in the right. mid-2000s yes. and I was quoting your name was not Hart then <laughs> that's why I remember yeah. you were Jane Knight back then right yeah. oh that reminds me Andy uh, asked us if we would please talk about why we are the evil Janes <laughs> why we call ourselves that why that's a that's a thing and, and it's a Facebook page and yeah. you want to tell it or do you want me um, yeah, you, you start on that one. <laughs> well, you know, we were both named Jane, and we were both sort of working in the same space. And um, both of us were taking unpopular stances on things. In my work world, I was surrounded by people who said nothing would work. That you know, e-learning is too expensive. E-learning is too hard. Our people don't have the technology. Our people don't have the computer. They don't have the skill. It just would never end. And then I dealt with it again when social tools came along. Our people aren't allowed. Our people can't be trusted. It was just, I was constantly beating back against this tide of public opinion. And mostly it was colleagues, certain colleagues, louder, more, more influential colleagues in my work world who were insisting we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't afford it, we can't do it. And meantime, I did it. And it just infuriated, <laughs> infuriated people. They're saying we can't do e-learning. Well, I'm writing a book about how we're doing e-learning. <laughs> so we can't afford it. We can't. So, um, so I think I I kind of got to where I was ad not not intentionally adversarial, but I was just sort of in your face about well, okay, here here's how to do it. Um, and then you were on the other side of the pond doing what, Jane Hart? <clears throat> Well, I guess, I guess I was I was trying to push the game along as I've always done, always done. I've always been ahead of it, really. And I think it wasn't always a very popular place to be, you know, when you're trying to tell people to catch up, you know. And they said, well, we've just started, you know, training people on whatever it is now. Now you're telling us to do the next thing. And I, I think we were just trying out new things. We're, mm -hmm. you know, both of us were very interested and curious about what these things could do and just try new things. And, and then we wanted to sort of share that with everybody. And 
Um, we didn't really mean to disrupt, but I think probably <laughs> we did disrupt a bit whilst we were doing things. And that what didn't always go down too well. So anyway, we thought we'd, you, I think you came up with the idea. We'll call ourselves the Evil Janes and the Righteous Sonies, wasn't yeah, it? We we're going <laughs> to have a band at Devlin or one of the conferences. We'll, we'll have a song. Um, I'm not sure we didn't mean to disrupt just a little, Jane. I'm oh. not sure. <laughs> we're entirely angelic. But, um, but we, yeah, we were going to have a band called Righteous Janes, the Righteous, the the evil Janes and the righteous so me's and we Jane Hart found a, um, a a clip art image of two little dolls in go-go boots that we adopted as our logo but the rest of that story is we never did write any songs we never did perform as a band <laughs> but Nancy Sinatra tweeted us about the go-go boots remember she was my first celebrity tweet I I posted the picture I said we know where you're we, we've got your go-go boots because we're evil Janes we stole them she said I was wondering where those she, she, she tweeted me back so yay yay twitter so that's that's why we are the evil janes and we relish that role <laughs> and the facebook page is still there so if anyone's intrigued about what we're saying then they can go and find it because it's still there with the tweet tweet little dolls uh we well i chose them i got that i don't know where i came up with it but um <laughs> well one but, of them's blonde and one was either whatever color i was then yeah. right <laughs> So I suppose we had to live up to our name and keep disrupting a bit, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately it's in my nature to keep moving and pushing things ahead. So it was inevitable and um, that probably uh, people found this a little bit difficult sometimes, but uh, you know, it, uh, lots of people written to me and probably to you to say how much they've appreciated some of the stuff that we've done. So um, I don't think it's any harm has come by it. And um, we made light of it through the evil James. Yeah. Yeah, we think it's pretty funny. But, you know, that reminds me of, uh, we had a conversation last week about what we wanted to talk about today, and I had another thought, but what you just said reminded me about how we want people to push on, that, okay, you've done this, and now what's next? I was in a conversation uh, recently with Carl Kopp for something I'm researching, and we, we had a general conversation about how people do seem to be willing to try some things provided they're very low-hanging fruit, and the thing that is the most obvious low-hanging fruit anytime is whatever the new technology is, whatever the new approach is, they immediately try to apply it to new higher orientation and induction. And I see that separate, by the way, from onboarding. Onboarding is more how to do your job, how, how to succeed here, how to enact work. But orientation in the United States anyway, and induction where you are, I think, is mostly here's our dress code, here's where you go to have lunch, here's how you get paid, here's, here's our policies, it's rules and regulations and just just getting on payroll and what have you. Um, and I think that's great. I mean, my earliest work with e-learning, the obvious when was to go do orientation and get it online all, all at once for all of our agencies, and that was fine. But we didn't need to stop there. You know, that was the thing. I think a lot of people immediately apply it. Sometimes when it's not appropriate, we don't really need VR orientation, <laughs> you know, setups. But, but we need to get people beyond just that obvious low-hanging fruit to the next fruit. And I think they do kind of get stuck there, especially if the initial solution wasn't really applicable to the situation or it wasn't the right pro product to apply to a situation. So, you, you know, trying to get them to move to next things, I do think is an ongoing challenge for everybody in this business. 
Yeah, because you know, for me, I think it's not just about the new, the next new shiny tool. Well, you know, we were a bit like that at one stage, but it's about rethinking our whole approaches to mm -hmm. learning and development and what it mm -hmm. means. And, you know, as I expect you and everybody probably knows now, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of very focused on self-learning, uh, self-development, yes. helping yes. people do yes. much more for themselves rather than to drive everything sort of from the centre. But, that, you know, that is quite a big shift and it's more shift in sort of mindsets and attitudes rather than just you know getting new tool and as you say applying it to sort of old problems and probably not seeing any real difference in an outcome right. things will only change or move forward if mindsets change and um, that's the biggest thing you know I work with organizations and they have real trouble trying to change things but the yeah. ones that do once they get it you know they're away yeah. yep. but um you know, I do. I do think we've made a lot of headway with the idea of self-directed learning. I st I don't know that organizations and humans call it that. For in for instance, years ago, when I was trying to sort of sell the idea of social tools and how to use social tools and why you should use social tools, I would just say, "Tell me something you've learned from YouTube." And at that point, mm -hmm. ten years ago, most people could. They yeah. learned to bake bread. They learned to braid hair. They learned to fix a car. You know, they or they learned to dry, you know, patch drywall, they, they could answer that question. But now the question I have started asking in a different context is how many times a day do you turn to YouTube for an answer? Yeah. And most of the time people are quite surprised when they think about that or to something like a YouTube. I, I do think that they are quicker to, to do it to solve a problem. I don't know that they always call it learning. Well, that's exactly right. You know, right. they don't realize that's learning, do they? They think it's just part of natural okay. daily life. <laughs> And you know that's the that's the thing that's the thing you're trying I'm trying to shift. You know, learning it happens in so many ways. It hasn't going to be in a classroom. It hasn't going to be on Zoom or whatever. It happens all the time. You just got to be aware of it. That's um, I think people aren't aware that they're actually learning constantly every day. And um, but organ some organisations don't want that. They like to control that whole thing, don't they? They like to have it all packaged up in their learning management system. Gosh, I said that word. Right. Yeah. <laughs> The, the evil Jane would say, but but people aren't, the, the powers that be want it counted and documented and quantified and how many minutes did they spend learning this thing and how long did it take yeah. them to apply that thing and do I get credit for having taught them that that, that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's a problem is they want to over-engineer and over-manage it um, when really people learn all day long, all the yeah. time. So. Yeah, and you know, it's the activity metrics that still get me. People have got to, you know, how much have they done, as you said, you know, how much time are they in the classroom or on online? And, you know, measuring activity or measuring time just really doesn't show you anything. But mm -hmm. it, it, it seems to take a big step to get them to think about in terms of, you know, performance, improved performance, new job, new what they can do differently or better or whatever it is. And um, I, I have had conversations with uh, L&D departments who say, well, actually, it's not my job to try and change performance. My job is to train right. people. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, that is right. quite a big leap to get that over that barrier, psych, you know, in terms of mental uh, processes. But, yeah, um, well, you know, in our, in our, it's not a secret. I mean, it's a dirty little secret. The people in the business know this, that very often managers don't know what they want when they say they want training, they don't really know no. what performance they want. They want what did, what happened. They don't want what happened yesterday. You know, they don't want the conflict. They don't want the mistake. They, but they can't really tell you what performance is, particularly when you start talking about soft, softer words like leadership and initiative and professionalism and, mm. um, 
and attitudinal stuff, they, they have a very hard time um, listening, communication. They, they have a really hard time telling you what it is they want. So I think L&D just feels like, like you just said, they're like, well, it's not my job to fix performance. It's my job to deliver this training, you know. Yeah, yeah I think you're absolutely right. The managers, for me, are key really to sort of changing mindsets because, as you say, if they have a problem, they tend to say, they tend to say, oh, I'll need a training course because they automatically think that's the right, right. answer. Right. Rather than, you know, being, they need help in thinking through what that problem was. And... For me, that's the new role of L&D. They need to sit there with that manager and help them, and yes. the team even, yes. and help them see through that problem and what um, the best solution would be. And it may not be training. It might be something completely different. But for managers, that's a big change. And L&D is a big change. So uh, they've really got to work together. And that's a lot of my work focused on that now. It's probably more about changing attitudes and approaches rather than you know the new next new shiny toy, as we've said. Yeah, well, back in back in my old work life, because I've I've been gone five years now, believe it or not. I left that job five years ago. I've been with the Learning Guild doing their research report, so I'm not involved in the ID world, the development world, the the dealing with stakeholders and and uh, SMEs world anymore. But back in the day, I often found the people who needed training were the managers who didn't know how to handle the problem. They were immediately, oh, those people aren't acting right. You go train them. When really the managers were the ones who needed help managing performance. Um, yeah. uh, but I, I had the luxury of having access to the managers most of the time. I didn't get just, you know, handed some giant mm -hmm. edict that I had to go do something. Um, and we have a lot of friends in this business um, who, who are freelance developers, who are maybe the company is an instructional design or training development company, and they don't, the IDs don't even interact with the organization that they're trying to serve. So they don't have that access, and I, I would think that would be very, very frustrating because uh, I'm sure that they know the things we're talking about. They would like to talk with managers. I know people who have said they are not allowed to talk to the learners. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exasperating, isn't it? Yeah. It you know, but you know, I've also worked uh, with managers and their teams, not L&D, and they, you know, the, the wonderful thing about managers, they're not hamstrung by all these sort of legacy right. thinking and ideas right. and systems and whatever, tools and whatever. They, you know, they, they, some of them, many of them intuitively know what they want uh, or they're, what they're looking for, not necessarily the, the way of getting to it. And it's just very refreshing to be able to come in and not have to sort of go through, you know, as I said, the very traditional role of we've got to create course and then put it on LMS and then measure it. But they're much more, the ones I work with anyway, have been very much focused on, you know, doing things differently and, um, you know, I think you and I have met Brian from who used to be work for Citibank, and he was one of the people that, uh, you know, who kind of inspired me to think, well, there are people out there who do want to change things. And he didn't come from a traditional training background. So I think if you are looking, if one is looking to cha make changes, is to actually go to the managers who have got an innate in, in interest for it and realize that, you know, they, they can do things differently, haven't got to follow the old routes. Anyway, that's my uh, that's my gem for today. Well, I, I agree. I see people who try so hard to tilt at windmills. They're not missing really obvious, easier wins they mm. could be going going for. I mean, um, I was years ago working at the Department of Justice. I was the first training person, quote unquote, they had ever really had on staff. 
They wanted me to implement training programs that was mostly compliant stuff, but I also had free reign to do other things if I wanted. And I remember drafting, we had a, a couple of middle managers, and these are attorneys with other jobs to do, who were very pro-training, they were very pro-development, they wanted their people to get anything that was available to them, they wanted um, enrichment opportunities, they wanted development, and I got them certified in some of the programs we taught. They were my co-instructors, and they were great, and they lent credibility. They got people to you know go along, and it's easier than me sitting in a the star chamber with 20 department heads arguing about why <laughs> right we should do this when I had their own people helping me helping me teach it. I've said for years you know to go make friends with some people in IT mm -hmm. um, yeah. because that you know and they're they're there. You just have to find them. I, I find sometimes people want to go into that sort of headbutting. Nobody will let me. Nobody can. <laughs> Um, the number of times I heard, we can't use social media, and when I hunted that down, it was so not true. Nobody had ever said that in the whole organization, you know. So finding the friendly faces and finding the people that are, are on board with some things, ready to get on the train, I think is critical. Because um, you could spend a lot of time banging your head against the wall. I remember when you and I were frustrated when emojis first became a thing that they didn't have a head banging emoji. <laughs> I notice there's quite a few of them nowadays. I don't know what that says, but uh... there's no banging my head against the wall. <laughs> yes, that's true. So, so J Jane, I, I've got a question here for you. We haven't talked about this one. You know, who was the person that's inspired you the most? You think in your you. in your years? <laughs> you oh, other than me other than, other than um oh my gosh you know there's so many people you get in trouble naming names mm. uh let's think i i have been very inspired by the people that articulate uh particularly i guess um i guess it was david anderson you know i, I got really interested in this business of making tacit work more explicit of how we can capture what each other's working on and getting people to share what they're doing. I did a book called Show Your Work. I'm real interested in, in knowledge management. And David Anderson started a, a weekly e-learning heroes challenge where he threw out, how do you make a quiz more interesting? How would you use a character to represent a complex idea? How can we, and it, it was basic e-learning straight up stuff, but dozens of people would answer him. They still do. And, and he would showcase their work. They would share their work. They would say, here are my files. You know, and I thought that was a wonderful example of collaboration. And it was a wonderful example of people who were doing, to your point of self-directed learning, they were doing this on their own time mostly. They weren't just doing it as part mm -hmm. of work because they didn't know what yeah. the challenge next week yeah. would be unless they happened to have something ready. So they were developing their skills. They were working together to do it. It was not being overseen and overwrought and overmanaged. Um, and I thought it was a wonderful initiative. I don't know if David did that all by himself or whether that was a team thing, um, but his name was on it. So I would say that was really inspirational. I think Julie Dirksen is doing wonderful work trying to help under pe un people understand how behavior can change, not just how we can impart information. She's done a lot with that. She's a really smart cookie. She's one of those people who remembers everything she ever read and who wrote it and what they said about it. 
Um, I love, um, you know, a lot of people are my friends too. I love Tracy Parrish in Toronto. She works for a hospital with many, many constraints. I mean, she's got budgetary stuff. She's got, um, you know, they, they always have staffing challenges at hospitals. They always have scheduling problems trying to get people to things at hospitals. She deals too. I think the hospital has a lot of volunteers, so they're not even your employees. And I think she does wonderful inventive stuff. Again, much of it on her own time. I mean, on the side, as a hobby, she teaches herself to use products. Right now she's working on an on a art program. Ooh, I'm, I don't remember the name of it. And she posts about yeah, it all the time. That it's she's amazing. Teaching. I think the people are, you know, really inspirational, the ones that sort of can do something out of nothing. They don't need hundreds of millions yes. of pounds or whatever to create the latest whatever well, it is. They can yeah, just do things. Yeah. And they're committed to what to their to their practice you know they're trying to make their practice better they're trying to do it better they're trying yeah. to learn new things and when they do they share it with other people how about you who's inspired you well i guess i have to say right from the very beginning it was jay cross of course oh, yeah. me, um, because i met him online a long time ago and he's sort of like his he he was thinking ahead a bit like you know, we do sort of trying to change things. But the people inspire me, as I said, are the people who just intuitively know what they're doing and just try new things and prepared to, you know, just to see what happens with them. They take a, a leap of faith, if you like, as some people would see it, but they because they just know that it's going to work and there's going to, everything is going to be okay. And, and then they can do things very, very differently from traditional ways. So... Lots of people, you know, I've come across over the years who really, I think, gosh, you've done really well in that. And, you know, most people wouldn't even tried it out. But look, we've got a question here from Andy, so I think we should answer that one. He is asking us what we think are going to, the things we're going to be seeing coming up in the next year or so. And I think you should start with that one because you've got, got into AI quite a bit, haven't yeah. you? I wonder if you can well, say that. Um, I have become very interested... I'm interested in AI uh, because I have friends who use it very effectively in their workplace to improve their work outputs and work product. And I find that very refreshing that there's kind of a cool technology that while everybody's sort of fussing about it and worried about it, that I, I know people who are actually using it in their actual jobs. Chad Udell is one. His company is Float Learning, and they use Grammarly all the time to help with their marketing output, to help with their communication output. It's, it's really good. Um, some of my special interests, I'm really very interested in, in realities, augmented and virtual realities, and I am baffled every day of my life why augmented reality has not caught on more. Mm -hmm. um, I suspect it's because VR is sexy, yeah. <laughs> but I see so many solutions just right in front of us if people would just give AR a second look. Um, I feel like it's that meme where the, the, the man is walking and he's turning, looking backwards at VR while AR is leading, leading the way. So I, I really, I hope, I am hopeful that if we could just please stop talking about headsets for a little while, that we can move on to something that's right in front of us, that's easy to do, it's inexpensive to do, it solves a lot of problems, um, you know. And and we love AR when it's a when it's in, not in a work context. People love Pokemon Go. They love having a critter dancing around in the parking lot or on their desk or in their car. But try to get them to do it to a fire safety inspection, and suddenly they don't see how it works. So I am hopeful that it's starting to mature and it will start to be a more realistic product. Um, I, I, 
it's interesting because when I talk to the guild about, you know, we have a, a yearly research calendar. We sort of line up things we want to talk about over the course of a year. And it's flexible, but I kind of have a plan going into January every year. It's interesting that, that really for the first time in a long time, there is nothing just on fire in the mm. horizon. Chat yeah. GPT yeah. showed up a couple weeks ago, and yeah. that's got everybody talking. But, you know, for so long, it was always, oh, mobile's yeah. coming next. Yeah. Oh, this other thing is coming next. And we aren't really, really doing that right now. Um, so, I, I, in fact, I kind of wonder if the talk about the AI content stuff is only hot because we haven't had anything else to talk about <laughs> in a while. I don't know. You know. Yeah, I, I was gonna, you know, I was struggling to think myself what you know what I would could pin down, but I think you know there isn't anything that's really kind of hit me as and I really I've got to get involved with this stuff. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it's more going to be more about consolidation. It's going to be about we've got all these tools in our tool set. Now let's find the one that fits the job rather than just going with the next you know big thing because it's there. Now we've got all these things. What really is going to help us solve any problems and um, find the best solution rather than just picking up the hammer and just hitting that nail on the head again because it's a nice new shiny hammer. I'd be interested, we you know, to hear from anybody who, you know, listens to the podcast and comments mm -hmm. on what they think it would be, uh, it's going to be the, the next big, big, big thing. Because um, maybe I'm just uh, getting a little bit jaded now, you know, <laughs> too much is happening and it's too much to catch up. But, you know, all of that begs the question about why people are so attracted to the shiny objects that they try and then abandon and abandon if in, in a year or two. And I, you know, I do think people look for easy solutions. I remember I was in a workshop once where the, the speaker was there to just do a brief, you know, an overview, an introduction to augmented reality. And before she started talking, a hand went up and someone said, is there an easy tool for this? <laughs> you know, and before they even knew what it was, how it worked, what any kind of application was going to be, what any kind of possible use would be. And, and what happens is people, somebody, they see their market, somebody's going to make that tool, right? There's going to be a cheap, easy tool in a couple of, <laughs> a couple of weeks as soon as you say there's a new technology. But people get these cheap, easy things. And I don't really have anything against cheap and easy if you understand what you're doing, but people get these things, they do something badly, like they put jumping frogs all over new hire orientation. Um, and then two years later, when there's time for something real, when there's a real application or a real solution, management says, well, we let you try that AR thing and it, it didn't work. Nobody liked it. You know, when what they did was not the AR thing at all. It was a bad attempt at using technology they didn't understand. And I find that frustrating, but there's always people, they want, they want an easy quiz. They want an easy instrument. They want an easy tool. And then what they do doesn't really serve the business very well. It doesn't serve our practice um, very well. So it's, it's kind of frustrating to see that. But um, on the issue of shiny new things, what, what is going on, and I hesitate to use this word because I think it's gotten very buzzwordy, is the metaverse. Uh -huh. what, what, Mr. Zuckerberg kind of took that word and, and made it a buzzword and it will die out soon. But the metaverse is what you're describing when we start seeing a confluence of the social tools and virtual realities and augmented realities. And I'm not talking about wandering around in a virtual world 24 hours a day. I'm talking about being able to go in and out of that kind of environment. I, I don't think that's in a year. I think we're some years away from that. But I do think all of these things are starting to come together a little bit better. I'm hopeful that they are. Um, so we'll see. 
Well, when we talk about tools, I have to sort of mention my top tools for learning thing, which oh, you know yeah. I've been doing yeah. now for like, I think, gosh, it must be 15 years. No, I can't remember now. I do it every year. But this year, or last year, I had so many, uh, I decided that, you know, I look carefully at these tools because last year I had about three, top 300 tools because there were so many and, you know, they were all kind of like so popular. But this year it's gone back to 100, you know, that I wasn't getting that sort of variety of things. People are, as I said, you know, earlier, perhaps there is some consolidation going on. People are going back to the good old stuff. You know, PowerPoint's always been at the top for better or worse, but it's there, you know, and, you know, and just very sort of normal things are on that list now. There's nothing really uh, striking, I don't think, from this year's, from this year's list. Yeah, I think things burn bright and then they go away. I also think that there's some companies that just buy everybody else up and seven products that were popular three years ago are now owned by one, um, they're under another umbrella somewhere. But, but yeah, I think, but like I said, I haven't, nothing's been burning especially hot lately except for chat GPT, which at the moment's free. I mean, mm. it's an open AI product, but, um, but at the, uh, at the moment it, it's free, but you know, I've always been fascinated by that top tools list. And I've always been kind of pleased, to be honest with you, PowerPoint notwithstanding, I've always been kind of pleased to see what kind of stayed floating near the top. It was usually something social. It was usually something uh, collaborative, you know, which speak, I'm, it gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, it's been a real, you know, interesting survey. I get every year, I get the people to say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be focused on the tools. That's the learning part that's important. But, you know, it's been really interesting to see how people are using these different things and you know people share their comments and that's been really amazing to see i think one of the reasons i was just going to say that you know i think it's gone back to hundreds i think in, during lockdown people experimented with lots mm -hmm. and lots mm -hmm. of stuff they went out and they grabbed stuff free or pay for it or whatever and then they realized as you said you know it probably wasn't the right tool for the job or whatever and they just kind of let it go and so that there was a sort of kind of mad panic i think in the for two years as people tried to do things differently, but now they perhaps are going back to some of the good old things that worked in the past, you know, and they feel comfortable with and happy with and not necessarily pushing the envelope really in terms of the use of new tools and things and just thinking about the problems. I'm hopeful anyway that that's what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I got a little worried that they were trying all kinds of interesting new approaches and different solutions for a while. But as soon as the pandemic was over, it was like back to the old way. I don't know. I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping it's that they're going back to things that work and not just, well, status yeah. quo returns. I hope. I hope. I don't know. Well, I mean, Zoom's still with us, again, for better or worse. Um, worse. I think, you know, done nicely. It's it's a good tool, but you know you don't want to be in Zoom calls all day long, which I know some some people are. They're just constantly in Zoom um, calls. They just kind of overuse that tool. It does have a place, but uh, well, so you mentioned metrics earlier. This is this is a true story. Years ago, I had been doing a lot of work with NSYNC training. Jennifer Hoffman and I are friends, and our arrangement for many years was that I would teach my stuff. I did a lot of open enrollment things like time management, mm -hmm. stress management, personal growth kind of kind of things. Um, and the deal was I, I could use her technology, but the state employees could also come for free. And it was a real win-win. Um, but it came time that the state wanted to buy its own video conferencing, you know, or audio conferencing technology. And they looked at products like WebEx and, uh, you know, Adobe Connect, um, the, those kinds of things that were around them for Zoom. And I remember they bought one. I don't, I don't even remember now which one it was, but some months in, we'd had it four or five months, I, we, you know, I, I think we got it near, nearish, 
October, November, fall. And I called IT around Easter time. So we're talking maybe maybe six months, maybe not even. I called IT and just asked how it was going. Were people using it? Did they seem happy? And the IT guy said, oh, yes, they've had 6,000 meetings since Christmas. And I was like, no, please, no. Yeah. So, you know, your metric, what, what you count is what you get. And I'm like, that is so not what we bought. That's not what we, that's not a good answer. Cause they were, now management was calling a meeting every time it felt like it. The wind blew, right? We have a meeting. We'll have a meeting. We'll get everybody to a meeting. Oh, and employees were then just then getting worn out with audio, mm -hmm. the audio conferencing, never even mind before we had Zoom. I can't even imagine. I said, I'm, I'm not sure that's a good thing. That's not. <laughs> now you see that probably is considered to be a successful tool in that business because it's yes. been used so much. But yes. I mean, for the poor people. Oh my gosh, look how much they're using it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have know, poor employees. It's probably, oh no, not another call, not another call. You know, for them, it's, it's not such a successful activity. <laughs> what have we done? You know, I'm like, oh, so that's what, you know, what you measure, yeah. what you get. Yeah. If they were counting amount of usage, well, number yeah. of meetings, they were. I wonder if they tried to measure the outcome and the performance and change or the outcome. Oh, or no. That would have been no, any different. And, Probably not. No. No. And, and, and they were talking more meetings than training. They, I mean, 6,000 for everything. That was every meeting, every gathering, every time the product was used for some, oh my gosh. So. So I think we're coming um, towards the end of our t allotted time now, Jane. It's been lovely to talk to you. Do you have anything else you want to say before we close? Uh, well, I was sort of thinking about this and the women and learning thing. There's a conversation I'd like to have. Maybe today's not the day. And maybe one of his past guests has already talked about it. I want to talk about women in learning in a different sense. When I think about who knows about drone technology, I think about Irby Delgado. When I think about video and learning, I think about Matt Pierce over at TechSmith. When I think about specialists in certain technologies, it almost always comes up that it's a man. Mm -hmm. And I, I mused on why is it I don't know a single woman who's interested in video, because that can't be right. I'm sure mm -hmm. there are women out there in our business doing lots of interesting things with video or with VR or with AR. But every time I think about it, I can only come up with the names of men. And I've talked to some of my friends about this. And, you know, my initial feeling was, well, women aren't very good at marketing themselves. These men are all over every, <laughs> every, every tool blasting about what they're working on. And, you know, I have encouraged them. I'm like, talk about what you're working on. Share pictures of what you're doing. Show your work. And I, I am hope I'm partly influential on that, but it, why is it, you know, it feels like it's always mm -hmm. men. And another friend of mine said, well, Jane, look at what happened with Gamergate. Look at what happens with women who try to be vocal in some of these areas in, in technology and in emerging, uh, emerging technology said the women um, are rightfully unwilling to put themselves forward. And I think that's an interesting question. You know, is that, is that what it is? And how can we help women feel more comfortable? How can we help women come forward more? I don't know if that's what we want to talk about today, but it was on my mind. Yeah, I, but I know, I know where you, I know where you're coming from because, uh, you know, when I was, I was at a conference once and I was talking about stuff, and a woman came up to me after and said, "That was really good, you know, really good. I really enjoyed that." And I said, "Well, you know, try it in your organisation." She went, "Oh no, I'm not going to do anything." The last time I put my head above the parapet, I was shot down, and you know, I'm not interested in doing anything. I'm just going to do my job, and I found that quite sad. Mm. But, you know, was it because she was a woman? I don't know. Maybe it's, it's, um, mm -hmm. it's a difficult thing to call, isn't it? You know, the reasons why that may have happened to her. Maybe it was a, what she was trying to do. I don't know. 
But you're right, you know, when you think about, you know, who are the experts in these different topics areas, specific areas, that, you know, it, it is difficult to come up with some names. I mean, women tend to be in the instructional design, I think, areas. You know, we know a lot of, you know, of your American colleagues, you know, who are sort of leading lights in that area. But some of the other more techie areas, perhaps not so much so. So um, it'd be interested, uh, interesting yeah. to sort of get, perhaps gather a list of people who, you know, do have specialisms in these. Maybe they're hiding the light under a bushel. They're not sort of coming forward and showing well, it off. And it will be well, good, yeah, just, as you said, Jane, to, for people to show their work, to demonstrate. So maybe something Andy could do in the future is have a session where people, you know, show something that perhaps they're not so much known for, um, either in their business or, you know, in their personal lives as some sort of... It might, they might consider it a hobby because women tend to do that, I think, rather than think as a professional. Something that they, some skill that they have, which is be really good to be able to tap into, other women be able to tap into. Yeah. The, a name that did come to mind while you were talking, Megan Torrance has taken the ball and run with XAPI uh -huh. over here. I guess she's influential over there. And so that is one that I, that I have seen stand up and push to the forefront with other, a lot of other people behind that technology. But she has sort of, she, she started a cohort that became very, very popular. Um, and the Learning Guild is actually taking that over, still working with her, but they're going to be behind it to help out. So that, you know, I, you always get in trouble naming names and I'm sorry, I am sure I forgot somebody really prominent that yeah, I'm going to regret not mentioning. Way, I'm going to think of it in 15 minutes. But, but, um, but I, do, I do wonder why it is when I think of some of these things, you know, we talk about wanting to have a panel at a conference and suddenly all the names are white men. Or we talk about wanting to have a gathering at an event and suddenly all, I, I can't think of a single woman who's involved in something. I'm like, that can't, can't be right, but I'm pretty well wired into the industry. And, you know, if I haven't heard of them, I'm kind of concerned maybe they need more visibility, however that happens. Mm -hmm. And if there's a reason they're not getting it or a reason they're afraid of it, you know, maybe that's something else for us to talk about. <clears throat> well, that's certainly something for the future, I think. Um, Thank you for raising that one. I think that's something we should all be thinking about, really. Somehow we can promote other women. So any opportunity, if I will do my bit. I'm sure you will do. You will too. Trying. So re returning to that, Jane already said a, a fond farewell when I took the conversation <laughs> off in a completely different direction. So this was delightful. I want to thank Andrew for having me and for including me. I can't believe Jane and I never got invited to do anything together before, but I kind of can see why. <laughs> Make them stop <laughs> those evil stop James them. off now. <laughs> they're disrupting everything. <laughs> they're just, there they go again. Right. <laughs> On that uh, note, thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Dandy. Thank you, Jane, for chatting with me. It's lovely yeah. to see you. Um, lovely to have a good conversation. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. I've been lucky enough to have known both of Jane's for a while and was delighted when they agreed to do the podcast. Their experience and insight makes for always great listening and I was especially taken by their call to action. Who do you know as a leader in learning who is a woman? Please do let us know. A massive thanks to Jane Bozarth and Jane Hart. You'll find their details in the show notes along with links to some of the topics they highlighted. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast. It really does make a difference when people are looking for us. You can find more details about the podcast on our website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com, along with details of previous episodes, future topics, and how to be a guest. We'll see you again next time when we're talking about 
coaching. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.